Father, we're just so thankful that we have you in our lives, Lord, and that you have called us to salvation. For the Lord, your faithfulness is so great, and you are awesome, Lord, and and your ways are beyond ours, and and Lord, they are amazing, and and we're so appreciative that you've shown us your ways over the years, Lord. And Father, as we grow closer to us, you reveal yourself more to us each day. And Father, we're thankful for these things, and we're thankful that you draw us close to you, and we're thankful that your spirit overflows in us, that we can't help but to share our love of you with the world, Lord, because we know that the love that we have for you is the love that you have given us and poured out to us first, and, and we're just so thankful for that. And Lord, as we move forward with the service today, we just ask that your words are spoken today, Lord, that, that you teach each one of us and that you equip us and that you guide each one of us every day, Lord. And Father, that we take from here today uh, the things that you teach us and, and, and share them with the world. We don't just keep them to ourselves. And we ask all this in the precious and gracious name of our Holy Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The Lord has been really good to me and my family, I know. And I'm sure that he's been good to everyone in this congregation, too, because every one of you look out there, I look out there, and you're healthy, and he's fed you, and he's clothed you, and taken care of you, and he is an amazing God, and this amazing God that we serve wants our lives transformed. He wants to make us new, and if you're a believer, you've experienced that transformation, and, and, it's, and it's much like the transformation of a caterpillar to a butterfly. And the caterpillar, when it's born and it's, and it's walking the earth, it can't fly. All it can do is walk and eat and grow and eat some more and walk. And one day it goes into this cocoon-like uh, apparatus hanging from a tree and literally is transformed from what it once was to what it now is, a butterfly who is vibrant and bright and flies around and sees the world in a completely different way, in a completely new way. And you know, God wants that for each one of us. He wants us to be transformed, to have that old person die and a new person living. And that's what I'd like to talk about today. And the title that I used for the sermon today was Off with the Old. And we're going to start out in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding, and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regards to your formal way of life 
to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your mind, and to put on the new self, created to be like God, in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to do to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may, be bene that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit, with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. And moving back up to verse 17 for a moment through, through uh, 19, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. And having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. See, when we become believers and confess Christ as Lord and are born again, a transformation takes place in our lives. It takes place in our basic nature. It is a more radical change than will happen on the day that we die. We have heard of several people in the congregation here of family members who have died and moved on. The transformation that's taken place in their life at that point was not as radical as the transformation that took place in our lives on the day of our salvation. You see, when a believer dies, he's already been fitted for heaven. The day that we were born again, we were already fitted for heaven. We have already become citizens of the kingdom of God, haven't we? We already belong to the kingdom of God. We are part of the kingdom of God. This church is part of the kingdom of God. The church makes up a big part of the kingdom of God. And when we die, we simply begin to experience in a perfect manner the divine nature we possess since the day we became born again. We will, for the first time, be freed from the unredeemed natural flesh that we live in today. The flesh, the body that causes us much grief and uh, difficulty in our lives. When we receive our glorified body, our glorified bodies, our glorified bodies will not make us better since we have already been perfected. Our glorified bodies will give us the capacity 
for all that the resurrected life involves. And one day we will experience that in a way that we don't today. But we are experiencing eternal life right now. We have eternal life right now. We are children of God today. We are part of the kingdom of God today. Our lives have been transformed. Our old life does not exist anymore. We must remember that salvation is not an improvement on what our old life was. It's not an improvement on that. It's not an improvement on what has previously existed. It's not an improvement on our flesh. Our salvation is a total transformation of who we are. We are made new in Christ Jesus. As believers, we have a new mind. Do we think the same way that we thought before we had salvation? Do we think, oh yeah, I want to go live it up and party and get drunk and get wild with my friends and family the way I used to? Do we want to get involved with drugs and illicit sex and all those other things that happen in the, in, in the world before we became Christian? How many of you guys have heard of this TV show called Friends? How many of you have watched the TV show called Friends? Well, I've watched this TV show called Friends. There's about ten seasons to this TV show. And I'm telling you that if you've seen one episode of this TV show, you've got the premise of the entire series. And it's the same thing. Episode after episode after episode. And people still watch it. How many people here's life is better because they watch a show like that? How many of us gain wisdom and instruction by watching a show like that? That show gives you an idea if you watch an episode or two of that of the total depravity of mankind and the depravity of our minds. And we'll sit there and laugh at the show and laugh at the commentary of the things that's being said. What is that teaching us? I'll tell you one thing that it demonstrates to me. That even as a Christian, we still have sin in our lives. And that sin that is this old flesh will respond to that negative input that we allow to come into our Mind, won't it? And we will respond in kind to what we're observing. And I'm not suggesting that we should by any means watch this show because it's, it, it, it's like I said, it's, it speaks for itself. If you've seen episode one, you've seen episode, uh, the last episode of the, la- the last season. It's all about sex. It's all about me. It's all about how I can take maybe advantage of somebody else. That's all that show's about. And if you look at life of people around you, and I work in a factory, and let me tell you, the life of people around me really line up with what I see in that TV show. It's the same kinds of things, the same kind of responses, the same kind of living 
The one thing that the TV show does is it glorifies that, doesn't it? But with us and our transformed lives, who do we want to glorify and who do we want to honor? It's God, isn't it? We want to honor Him. We want to praise Him. And we should be examining what we're watching on a television set, shouldn't we? We're different than the people in the world. What are we telling somebody of the world when they come into our house and see something like that on our TV? Am I telling them that I'm different than them? As believers, we also have a new will, don't we? We want to do what's right. We strive to do what's right. We work towards what is right. And God has put that within us that we want to do what's right. We feel bad when we do something wrong, don't we? When we sin, we feel bad about it. Our will and our desire is to do the opposite of maybe what we did do. And we know that there's confession involved. We know that there's forgiveness involved. And we know the battle that we have in our hearts, don't we? It's a war because we have a new heart. So there's that war within us. Our flesh is warring with our new spirit, isn't it? Our flesh wants us to do this, yet our spirit is telling us we need to do this. We need to go in this direction. We need to see if there's somebody we can help. How can we serve somebody? How can I introduce the love of God with somebody? We have a new inheritance also. That is what gives us the hope when we are lying on our deathbeds. That's what gives us hope when we have a loved one who is lying on their deathbed, is that one day we will get to see them again. And one day we will be able to rejoice with them with no more pain and no more suffering, no more crying. We will be able to fellowship with each other in perfection, won't we? What a glorious day that is going to be. And we also have a new relationship. See, we are now in Christ. And what that really means is that we're in unity with him. We're in union with him. Just like I am in Jen and Jen is in me. We have a unity that nobody else in this congregation has like we do. And the marriage life really kind of paints a picture of what the Christian life is in our relationship with Christ. We are one in him. We are part of who he is and he is part of who we are now. And we also have a new power. Power to overcome sin. Power to say, no, that's wrong. I'm not going to do that. I don't want to do that. And we know that Paul, you remember the Apostle Paul said he beat his uh, body into submission, didn't he? And he says, why do I do the things that I don't want to do, but yet I don't do the things that I want to do? That's his spirit warring with his flesh. The same thing that we experience. But Paul never said that he didn't have the power to overcome it. 
If he kept his eyes on God, he could overcome that sin, just as we can. If we are being tempted, we can overcome it. God has made it possible. There is no temptation that has taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful and will provide a way to escape that temptation. He doesn't leave us powerless. He provides a way of escape. And we also have a new knowledge, don't we? A knowledge that one day we're going to be in the presence of God. A knowledge that we know the difference between right and wrong, and we know that we should be fighting against the wrong that our flesh is trying to convince us to do. And a new wisdom. Our perception is different, our understanding is different, and our righteousness is different. Because we have the righteousness of God within us. We are sealed with his spirit, guaranteeing our inheritance into the kingdom of God. How can we not be different? How can we not let the word of God well out of us? We are overflowing with his spirit. We have a new love, we have new desires, and we have a new citizenship. Which are all summed up in a newness of life that we have through Christ. Let us go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Because God wants us to know that we are different, that we are changed, that we belong to him. And I believe God wants us to continually battle our flesh and to not give in. 2 Corinthians 5.17 teaches us that at the new birth, we are a new creature. The old things have passed, and behold, new things have come. See, we have not just received something new. This is key. We have become someone new. We haven't received something new. We have become someone new. And Paul taught us in Galatians 2.20 also that we have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but who? Christ. Amen. Christ lives in me and the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. See, Christ suffered what we should have suffered. And we received what he has granted us because of what he suffered us, for us. We didn't deserve it. He gave it to us as a free gift. And our new nature is not added to the old nature that we once possessed. It replaced that nature Our new nature replaced our old nature. As a believer, you are a completely new person. You are no longer the person who loves evil. You don't have two natures. You don't have a sin nature and a redeemed nature. You are redeemed. 
the new self, the deepest, truest part of the Christian, who is you, now loves the law of God and longs to fulfill its righteous demands. You hate sin and you long for the deliverance from the unredeemed flesh. For now, we are, we are housed with this, this flesh. We, have, we, we, we won't escape it in this world. That is the house of our new creation for right now. And our new creation is at war with the flesh and the flesh is at war with who we are now. So, if we're a new creation, why do we still sin? Paul explains it in Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 17. No longer am I the one doing it, but sin which indwells me. For I know nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. We know that the Spirit of God dwells in us, and that's where our good is. But the flesh, there is no good that dwells in our flesh. For I know nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the wishing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. See, we desire always to do the good things and to do what is right. But there are times, though, that we yield to our flesh, don't we? There are times that we yield to our flesh. But Paul says here that in those times that we yield to our flesh, that it is not us, it is not I, the new creation, who is committing the sin. It is the flesh that is committing the sin. We have been changed and transformed. And we know we can come before God and bring that sin before Him. And He he has forgiven it. Sin still resides in the flesh, which restrains us from being fully able and perfectly able to express our new nature found in Christ Jesus our Lord. The old self dies, the new self lives. They do not coexist. It is not a remaining old nature we possess. Rather, it is the remaining garment of sinful flesh that causes the Christian to sin. We are a completely new person in Christ, clothed in the filthy garments known as the flesh which continues to hinder us and contaminate our living a completely pure life in God. We are clothed in filthy garments right now. But though the day that we die, we will be clothed in the righteousness of God. We will not carry this sinful flesh any longer. What a day of rejoicing, brothers and sisters, that that will be when we no longer will sin or fall short because of the flesh that we carry around with us. We have residing sin, no question about it, but we can rejoice in this knowing that it is not a a reigning sin in our life. 
It is a residing sin, not a reigning sin. Christ reigns in us. Christ reigns in you. We are a new creation in Christ awaiting the full salvation which we will one day receive. And on that day there will be great rejoicing as we are completely resist, resist, released I'm sorry, from the grip of sin and freed to glorify and praise God totally unhindered or restrained by sin. See, we are Christ-centered. The new walk in Christ is the exact opposite of the walk that we had in our old flesh. Whereas the flesh is self-centered and futile, the new creation is Christ-centered and purposeful. Has anybody in here ever read Stephen Covey's book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People? You know what I like about principles? They don't change. They are standard bearers. Principles come from God. Would you agree with that? That principles come from God. Good and true principles. And there really are seven principles here. Would you agree that when we're proactive, we can make things happen? I like sometimes the thing that Eddie says, if it is to be, it is up to me. But you see, it's not really up to me. It's up to God working through me. But I have to step out in faith, don't I? So I have to be proactive in my relationship with God, right? Proactivity is very important. If we sit on the couch and be a couch potato and do nothing, how much are we going to accomplish in our Christian walk? What are we going to say to God when we stand before him one day and, and we're telling him all the excuses of why I couldn't instead of why I did? Be proactive. Right? That's, that's uh, number one. The number, the number two principle is to, um, my mind just drew a blank, sorry. <laughs> but the, no, the number two principle, give me a second, is to begin with the end in mind. How many people in here start a project without looking at where the finished product's going to be? Have you ever built something? And said, I don't know where it's going to go, but I'm going to start building it anyhow? Or do you have a plan? Right? You want to have a plan. Begin with the end in mind. If you don't know where you're going, how are you going to get there? So when we're talking to God and we're, God, I know that you have a mission for me because in Ephesians 2.10, you said that I am your workmanship created for good works. And you've already prepared those good works. So how do I get there? Where am I going, Lord? And God will guide us. But we have to know where we're going. Are there people that are, you're, you're ministering to? I would think the end in mind is that God would draw them and that he would use you as a vessel. 
But see, that takes a plan. And the number three thing is you have to put first things first, right? You can't do the last thing first. You have to do the first thing first. Where is your relationship at? Are you doing the things that God expects you to do? Are you walking the life that God expects you to walk? First things first is your life has to be in order. But when your life is in order, you can start to move to the next step and the next step. It's amazing how things happen. And another one is think win-win. Right? We've already won. We have salvation. But we have family members, friends that we love. And we want them to have that win also, don't we? We want them to have the benefit of salvation as well. Are we going to keep it to ourselves? Are we going to step out in boldness that God will give us the words to say and speak? And that we will live a life that is representative of who Christ is. See, if you're going out and you're getting drunk every week or every day or whatever, and you're doing the things that are wrong to do, what kind of testimony really are you to that person? Your house has to be in order to think win-win. And then when you're sharing your faith with somebody, number five is really, really, really important. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. Because if you don't understand what the person's hang-ups are and what their objections are and what their problems with God is, how can you possibly share with them anything about God and them really listen to you? So first thing you have to do is you really have to understand why don't they believe? What are your hang-ups? Why don't you believe that God died for you? Oh, you don't believe that God would let something bad happen to one of your loved ones. Okay, we got a good start there, right? And we can probe a little bit more and get more information and really understand where that person's coming from. See, because when we have more information, God's able to work through us in a better way. Just like when we know the scriptures, God can call them to our mind. When we know the person we're talking to, God can frame the conversation that we're going to have in a way that will be meaningful to that person. Number six is to synergize. See, once you understand where the person is coming from and they begin to understand you, a synergy begins to take place. Just like the synergy between a husband and a wife or between you and Jesus. There is a connection. And when you have that connection, then the number seven thing happens naturally. Just sharpening the saw. And what is that? Keeping yourself in the word, keeping in prayer, depending on God and loving him and trusting he will lead you. God loves every one of us, not just us, but every single person in the world who don't know him yet. He died for them too. So our lives have to be Christ-centered 
And we have to know the truth of God. See, when we're born again, we know the truth of salvation. We know we are born again. We are a changed creation. But it doesn't stop there. It requires us to get into the Word of God and to see what He has to say. Because we know that He who belongs to God hears what God says. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice. I know them. And they follow me. And in Acts 3, starting in verse 22, Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me among your own people who must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. You have to believe what Jesus teaches That's knowing God's truth, knowing what Christ teaches. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life and will not perish. God's truth. You've got to know God's truth. And as believers, we hear from God. We do not hear him in the sense of an audible voice, do we? But we do hear from him in a spiritual sense. When we're reading the word of God and he speaks to us through that word. Or the word of God is being preached and God is speaking to you through the words that he's speaking through the pastor. Right? Or what about when you're in prayer and all of a sudden God brings something to your mind. We hear from God. After all, he dwells in us. He is in us. We are in him. In Christ, again, means that we have union with him. And unity in Christ happens only because we have salvation. And he has provided that for us. For those who live life without Christ, they are likely to be cynical about the truth and may ask, as Pilate did in John 18.38, what is truth? And in asking the question, they really do not expect A satisfactory answer. But when they ask you that question, they're going to receive more than an adequate answer, aren't they? They're going to know truth is found in Jesus Christ. That's where the truth is. Pilate was asking the truth, what is truth? Standing right before him. However, as Christians, we can confidently say and know the truth of Christ is in me. We know that the Son of God has come and given understanding so that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, even in His Son Jesus Christ. He is the true and eternal God. And that's in 1 John 5.20. So you see, we've been freed from the old. We no longer are the old man. We are the new. The new. God has changed us. We no longer live for sin. We no longer love sin. We love righteousness. We possess God's love. And when we possess God's love, 
we should have a deep love for others, shouldn't we? He is in us, and we are in Him. We have the power to overcome sin and achieve marvelous things by the power and strength of God that is found in us. God has never left us powerless. And if we feel powerless, it's because we do not have our dependence on God. And when we put our dependence on Him, you will see the power of Him well up in you. Are you a worker of God? If you're not a worker of God, I really encourage you to read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Because you are born again. And if you are born again and Christ is in you, Christ is not of a nature of doing nothing. He is of the nature of one who is continually doing. There is purpose in what Christ does. There is purpose in Him drawing you to salvation. Ephesians 2.10 will give you that purpose. Let us enter the world as change agents of God. God has called us to be that. Let us depend on Him every day to fulfill His purpose, the purpose that He has laid out for each one of us. And again, I want to remind you, He is ours, and we are His. He has given us an everlasting inheritance that we will soon receive in its full. In the meantime, let us accomplish the work that He has laid out for us and anticipate the future that He has prepared for each one of us.